When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's much easier to change behavior than it is to change perception of others. One of the best research principles in psychology is called cognitive dissonance theory. We all see people in a manner that's consistent with our previous stereotype, and we look for behavior to reinforce that stereotypical belief. Welcome to the show today. A quick introduction from me here before we get going. This is a very special episode of Leadership Without Losing Your Soul because we are combining with Karen Hertz. LinkedIn show, Asking for a Friend, because we have a fantastic guest and we wanted to honor his time and record all at once. Our guest today is Marshall Goldsmith. Over the course of his 40-year career, the world-renowned executive coach, New York Times bestselling author, has sold millions of copies of his books. And when he, in the coaching of more than 200 CEOs and their management teams, he has learned and deeply understands how successful people make decisions and how certain behavioral changes can help them avoid pitfalls on their way to successful careers and lives. Two of his most famous books from the past are Triggers and What Got You Here Won't Get You There, both of which I highly recommend, where he helps readers identify the psychological and environmental roadblocks that prevent us from achieving our best performance. Today, we're going to be talking about The Earned Life, where Goldsmith will uncover the source of some of today's existential crisis, regret, the kind that stems from choices that irrevocably alter our lives, reroute our destinies, haunt our memories, particularly timely themes as the pandemic and the Great Resignation inspire us to seek meaning, get unstuck, and make the changes we need to make to live the life and have the impact we want to have. All right, so enough of my introduction. Let's get to the show. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hi, I'm Karen Hurt. And I'm David Dye. And we are absolutely delighted to bring you a very special combined show of asking for a friend and, and leadership without losing your soul. And we're doing this special edition today because we have an amazing guest. Marshall Goldsmith is here with us today. Uh, welcome, Marshall. We are so delighted to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. You guys do great work. Oh, thank you. You were such an integral part of our first launch of our first book. You wrote the foreword to our book, Winning Well, and we're here. You've written so many best-selling books, and we have read every one. And super excited about your latest book. This one is fantastic, and we can't wait to get into it and share it with our audiences here. So why don't, uh, Marshall, why don't, as to start, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your book and uh, what inspired you to write it? Well, my new book is called The Earned Life. And it's basically built on pretty much everything I've learned in life so far about making peace with what is, about trying to be the person you can become. And it's built on a lot of studies over the years. And, and you know, the goal of the, the book is really 
it's built on a lot of Eastern philosophy and it's applied to a modern Western context. So I, I love the book. I think it's great fun. And I think hopefully it'll help people have a better life. Nice. So we, uh, we, we loved your definition of a, an earned life. We are living an earned life when the choices, risks, and effort we make in each moment align with an overarching purpose in our lives, regardless of the eventual outcome. So can you elaborate a little bit more about what you mean by this definition of an earned life? Well, you know, I talk about in the book three key elements to having a great life. One is our higher level aspiration or purpose. The second would be our ambition, which is goal achievement. And then the third would be our day-to-day actions, our immediate activities now. And the key to having a great life is the alignment of these three. Now, if you look at the history of the human species, most people have been lost in the action phase. I mean, just live day-to-day lives. They show up. They didn't have a lot of choice. They did what they were supposed to do. They went where they were supposed to go. And most of our lives were just focused on this short-term gratification. Some people are more focused on just the aspiration phase. They kind of live in their heads. They've got very dreamy ideas. They may not achieve a lot, but they've got a lot of great thoughts. The clients that I've worked with over the years, and I think most of the readers of my books, they're focused on the achievement phase. And they're just, if not careful, become almost addicted to achievement and goals. And the reason I said those results are not the key is, really, we should never become ego attached to the results of what we do. It's a fool's game for a couple of reasons. One is you don't control the results. You do not control the results. You don't have 100% control over what's going to happen on any activity. But two, even more important, what happens after you achieve it? Well, how long does that make you happy? 10 minutes, 15 minutes? And what happens is really important to separate achievement from peace, from happiness, from other elements of life. The great Western disease is I'll be happy when when I get the money status, BMW, when I get the condominium, everything's going to be okay when. Well, you know, we all have the same when. And basically, that's that's a myth. That's a myth. Uh, One of my clients who endorsed the book is Albert Burla. Albert's the CEO of Pfizer. So I said, Albert, how was your year last year? Oh, pretty good. You know, came up with a vaccine for COVID. Not too bad. And, you know, a new pill and stocks at all-time high. Wrote a book and CEO of the year, you know, on and on and on. I said, Albert, what's your problem? He said, I have a huge problem. Next year. <laughs> Next year. And you think the people who bought that stock at this price care what he did last year? Right. They could right. care less. It's, it's restart now. Well, you know, I think very important to realize that we're constantly restarting our lives and re-earning our lives. And it's not, you know, I'll be happy when we get to some place and everything is okay and we coast on forever. There's one type of book that has the same ending, and they lived happily ever after. That's called a fairy tale. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, in in Earned, you talk about the one breath, the every breath principle of, and and that resonated with me about that it's a moment-by-moment process of being who we are, and that whoever we were, that that the last, all those previous 10,000 breaths are what they are, but it's this breath right now that determines who we are. And and who are we now? We're not who we used to be. We're constantly changing as we go through life. The me at the end of our conversation is not the same me that was at the beginning of our conversation. 
Right. So as we go through life, every time I take a breath, it's a new me. And everything that happened before is done by an infinite set of people called the previous versions of me. And I think this is useful in a lot of ways. One, it helps people forgive themselves. Mm-hmm. Forgive themselves. We all made mistakes, right? The previous versions of you made some mistakes. So what? Ah, let go, let go. <laughs> all right. So I this is a question that uh, Karen and I have been discussing and we've been dying to ask you as we read the book and talked about this principle because you're in the business of change. We're in the business of change. We're helping people to make changes in their leadership, in their life, right? Uh, maybe how they're maybe better interpersonal and how they're treating other people to be more effective. Maybe uh, maybe they've been too lax and I need to practice more accountability and, and right. results focus, whatever it might be. Those previous versions of ourselves have left ripples. They've left impact on other people. Right. And as we make those changes, which, yes, we want to do that, as we make those changes, we now maybe have forgiven ourselves, recognized and embraced, this is my current version. But everyone around us is still operating on those previous 10,000 breath versions. Right. How do you recommend leaders and people navigate that change? And what's fair to expect in terms of having everybody else catch up? Well, you know, in my coaching for years, I did stakeholder-centered coaching. I didn't get paid if my clients didn't get better, and better was not judged by me or them, it's judged by everyone around them. So your question is a critically important question. How do you change behavior? And the way you, you how do you change perception, not just behavior? And your point is very well taken. It's much easier to change behavior than it is to change perception of others. Changing the perception of others is hard. One of the best research principles in psychology is called cognitive dissonance theory. We all see people in a manner that's consistent with our previous stereotype, and we look for behavior to reinforce that stereotypical belief. Well, how do you get people to change perceptions? The key there is follow-up. I'll give you two examples. Let's say my problem is I make too many destructive comments about other people. I picked that because it sounds so simple. All I have to do to change my behavior is quit doing it. I go seven months and never make a destructive comment about anyone. Seven months later, I go, stupid idiots and finance idiot being counters. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you're my colleague. Your first reaction is he never changed. Yeah. yeah. Case study two, though, if I say, you know, I got feedback. I want to be a better team player, not make destructive comments. Give me ideas. You don't believe I'm going to change, but you're thinking, well, there's a little hope there. What happens though in two months when I come back and say, it's been two months. I said, I want to be a great team player, not make bad comments. Give me suggestions for the future. Now you start thinking, good job. Four months, good job. Six months, good job. Now I'm still human. I'm going to make a mistake. Seven months, idiots and finance. Only now you have a context. You say, you know, you shouldn't have said that. You went seven months without doing that. So you're right. I'm going to apologize. Situation A, as you really well, well put it, situation A, did behavior change? Yes. Did perception change? No. Situation B, did behavior change? Yes. Did perception change? Yes. And in leadership, it doesn't matter what we think we said. Right. All all that matters is what they heard. Right. Wow. Yes. You talk about, you have a whole list of barriers to an earned life. And as I was reading these, uh, I resonated with the entire list, uh, both for myself, but also (laughs) for a lot of our clients that we work with. And there were two, you know, that are at the top of your list I thought would be interesting to unpack a little bit. First one is, Inertia. Right. Yeah. And so can you speak to that? This is one thing that gets in the way is inertia. What do you mean by that? Well, we all tend to go where we've been going, do what we've been doing and say what we've been thinking. The best prediction of what you're going to do five minutes from now is what you're doing now. 
So, you know, inertia is really hard. And especially when you're successful, any human or in fact, any animal will replicate behavior that's followed by positive reinforcement. Well, the more successful we are, the more positive reinforcement we get, and the more we fall into a trap. What's a trap? I behave this way. I am successful. Therefore, I must be successful because I behave this way. No, you behave this way. You are successful because you do many things, right? In spite of doing things that are stupid. And we all got something on the stupid list. Well, you know, inertia just keeps reinforcing, do what I've been doing, do what I've been doing. And then someone wrote a great book about why that doesn't work. I think the book is called What Got You Here Won't we'll Get, get you, you There. there. <laughs> I might have read that book. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Programming. Now, this one was really interesting because you talk about parents and this happened in our family. So, yeah. So three kids. All right. So, you know, Jill, she's the funny one. She's the compassionate, funny one. Bradley, he's the writer. And Karen, she's, you know, she's the ambitious singer. Okay. Well, all those things are true. And they're not sufficient. That's an interesting sample size, right? So it's it, right. So in the whole world, right? Karen apparently also is a writer, as it turns out, right? So speak speak to that one a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Well, we've all been programmed to believe we are a certain person, and if we're not careful, we just live out these programs in life. Um, you know, you're the smart one. I, I, I worked in a hospital, and I asked a question. How many of you were brought up to believe you're the responsible one? 100% of the people raised their hand. 100%. Wow. It was a hospital. And then we talked about the positive elements of that. Very interesting statistic my daughter shared with me. If you take twins, twins who are brought up with different parents are more alike than twins who are brought up with the same parent, identical twins. Why? When they're brought up with the same parents, they come up with these differentiating phrases. You're the da-da-da one. And when they're brought up with different parents, they don't. And they actually tend to be more, not less alike. That is really, really fascinating. Oh, wow. So uh, uh, there was a third one. that There I, is. And I have to chime yeah, in on yeah, this one. So yeah. another impediment, a barrier to the earned life. And I resonated with this one, obligation. Yeah. And uh, and the way that you talk about it here, I, I wrote my, I wanted to make sure I get this quote right. The beauty of obligation is that it directs us to keep our com commitments to others, either right. implied or explicit. The misery of obligation is how often these obligations can conflict with the commitments we've made to ourselves. And it, I resonated with that. I have had to have people who cared about me sit me down and say that commitment you've made to all of us, you shouldn't keep it. It's not in your best interest. I literally have to have people do that sometimes. Right. I am curious as you have worked with so many people who struggle with that impediment. How do you help people navigate that? Well, you know, one thing I teach people that I coach to do is know when to leave. Know when to leave. One th the first thing I tell everyone I coach is this. If I ever tell you to leave, leave. 100% of the CEOs I've told to leave, they're left with, thank me, 100%. Perfect batting average. Two didn't leave and they both got fired. Very negative experiences. So I always tell people, if I tell you to leave, leave. Hey we're all passing through here. And by the way, this is not less true now. It's more true than ever. Don't hang around too long. The other thing is it's your life. I use an example in the book, my friend, Mark Tursik, who was a managing partner of Goldman Sachs, right? And 
you know, Mark Tersing, brilliant guy. He was there for the IPO. He's got slightly less money than God. Well, you know, he, he wants to be head of the nature conservative. Well, I don't know. What will they think? Well, who cares what they think? They're not going to starve to death. This is Goldman Sachs. Jim Kim was president of Dartmouth College, got offered the job as president of World Bank. What did I say? Leave. Go be president of World Bank. Well, what about Dartmouth College? I called him three months after he got the job. You know what I said? I said, Dr. Jim, I'm at Dartmouth College. It's still here. It's still here. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> it's still here. And you know what? They're all complaining about the new president now. Of course. That's the <laughs> human nature. You're just another old man whose picture's on the wall. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 we, we, we need to let go of a lot of that stuff, this feeling of, gee, you know, them. The reality is it's your life and you need to make a choice. And as we're doing that, you offer in the book so many different suggestions on how we can make those changes and in alignment with purpose and, and calling and so forth. I want to highlight a couple of them. One that you just mentioned with regard to like the, the shift from being president of Dartmouth to and moving to some other things is adjacency. So right. people are listening and thinking about, gosh, yes, as I reflect, and we've been in this period of mass reflection for the last couple of years, our global staring contest with mortality, it's definitely highlighted that for people. One of your recommendations is to consider adjacency. Right. So what does that mean? Where should we be looking? Well, it means that you're probably not, at least if you're an adult, going to completely start over with life. On the other hand, let's say you've been a musician. Well, maybe you want to work in a music school or you've been an athlete. Maybe you'll be a coach or a, a, a sportscaster. It's highly unlikely you're going to be a, uh, a brain surgeon. Well, adjacency means a good place to start. And I don't want this to sound like it's either or. On the other hand, a good place to start is say, not just where am I and what's the logical next step, but what are other adjacencies that are nearby, things I could shift to that I might really enjoy? And those could be, if you're very open-minded on that, I do a lot of career counseling and I encourage people to be very, very open-minded. What are adjacent fields that might be fun for them? And then extrapolating from the adjacent field, you have the skills, talents, and, and you condense these into, I love this phrase, the one trick genius, OTG, uh, bringing out what is that, that, that genius. And it's not one trick pony, it's one trick genius and ways to really embrace who we are at our best. Yeah, well, if you look at me, I'm a great case study that my mission in life is helping successful leaders achieve positive long-term change in behavior. Now, I'm very proud of that. Number one, you do a Google search, helping successful leaders in quotes. The first 500 hits, 450 are me, and the entire rest of the world is 50. So that's kind of my brand. That's impressive. I, yeah, I, I, I dominate the brand. But if you think of coaching, Coaching used to be about fix the loser, not help the winner. And one thing I'm proud of is really changing the field of coaching to make coaching about helping winners, not just about fixing losers. And so that's a huge, now, now it seems much more common, but 30 years ago when I started doing this, look, you, you saw all the people endorse my book, an amazing group of people, right? 30 years ago, none of those people would admit to having a coach. They would have been ashamed or embarrassed to have had a coach. Well, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that today all these people stand up and say, look, I need help. I have a coach and it's okay. How many of the top 10 tennis players have a coach? 10. Well, they're not ashamed to have a coach. So that's the one trick genius. And one of the things we should highlight about Earned is at the end of every chapter, you have very practical ways that we can invest in doing the work of each section of the book. And as you guide us through these conversations, 
And when it comes to figuring out your one trick genius, that can be overwhelming. I know it always has been for me. Every time I think, okay, what's your niche will make you rich? What is your superpower? What's your genius? I find those questions overwhelming. But you had a very practical way of breaking this down by looking at and cataloging what you called the YCBM moments, the you can be more moments. Can you tell us about those and what we should be looking for to help uncover and surface our one trick genius? Well, if I look at my own life, I think about the coaching moments that helped me in life. And they all revolved around this theme, you can be more. When I was in high school, I got a D in math. Well, it was ridiculous. I ended up with an 800 on the SAT math achievement test. Getting D was ridiculous, right? Teacher, you, you can be more. Uh, as I met Dr. Paul Hersey, you can be more. Peter Drucker, you can be more. So I met many people that gave me this message. And I think it's really good to think about life in two ways for this. One is the people who have given us this you can be more message and how that's changed our lives. And two, how we can help others with that same message. You know, you can be more. It's a very positive message. And by the way, sometimes I got the message I wasn't doing poorly. I was doing very well. I mean, I worked with Dr. Paul Hersey. I was making a lot of money. I was very successful. He called me and said, you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. You're making a lot of money. Your clients are happy. You can be more. You're not reading. You're not writing. You're not investing. You're not becoming the person you could be. And he was right. Mm. He was right. And it was a very positive and useful talk that he had with me. And so sometimes those are just hard hitting. Someone loves us enough, cares enough to say that. And other times it's they're seeing something. They're calling attention to something that maybe we haven't seen at the same level they have. Exactly. I, I remember I did a program for American Express and Jim Robinson was the CEO. And he told me, you don't have to be a junior partner here. You know, do your own show. You know, you have worked with people, very, very successful people, very powerful people who ha are at a mature place in their career. We know we have a lot of listeners who are starting out, you know, folks in their 20s, early 30s. Right. How, what advice, what practical advice would you have for them for setting themselves up for living an earned life? Well, you know, the one chapter I think is really good for people like you're referring to is about building credibility. And the chapter is titled Credibility Needs to be Earned Twice. Mm. And the question is, when do we strive for approval and when don't we strive for approval? Now, as human beings, right, we've been striving for approval for centuries. Why? You had to get approval or you died in that cave or with a king or whatever. So, we've, And you've taken test after test after test in life. We all strive for approval. But if you look under strive for approval in the in the dictionary or in Google, the first all all the hits are it's a psychological dysfunction somehow. Well, you know, we all strive for approval. The problem, nothing is wrong with striving for approval. The question is when and how. And one thing I would say to the younger people listening, and this is a great lesson I got from Peter Drucker that, by the way, in my coaching, I've used this a thousand times. Thank you, Peter Drucker, is this. Number one, our mission in life is to make a positive difference, not to prove we're smart, not to prove we're right. We're not here on earth to prove how smart we are or right we are. We're here to make a positive difference. Two, every decision in life is made by the person who has the power to make the decision. Make peace with that. Not the smartest person, the best person, a fair person, a wonderful person. Decisions are made based on one and only one variable. People have the power to make decisions, make decisions. If I need to influence you and you have the power to make the decision, there's one word to describe you. It's called customer. One word to describe me is called salesperson. Customers don't have to buy. Salespeople have to sell. 
and really teaching, especially young people, this point. So they get out of that poor me, I'm a victim, life isn't fair, blah, 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 nonsense. And I said, look, I'm here to make a positive difference in life. What do I need to do to make this positive difference? And I talk about don't oversell, don't brag or show off when there's no point to it. On the other hand, don't undersell. Don't hide your light behind a bushel. Mm -hmm. So really focusing on when is promoting myself the right thing to do and when is promoting myself a wrong or dysfunctional thing to do. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so good. I have to ask you this question because it comes up in every single time we are giving a Courageous Cultures keynote. So it's it just happened this week. Good. So we talk about, okay, so you build a Courageous Cultures where you're really tapping into the best ideas of every team member. This is how you show up curious. And there's always somebody who raises their hand. They're like, yeah, but there's this senior leader at our company and he or she is highly successful. And right. yet, They've got blinders on. They don't want ideas. What do I do about that person? Well, let's imagine I am the person making the complaint and you are that person. And let's imagine you are not going anywhere. You're not going to get fired, right? Here's the point. How can I make a positive difference in influencing you? And I think like a great salesperson. I try to change what I can change. If there's absolutely no choice, no chance you're going to change, don't bring it up. <laughs> don't waste your time. <laughs> Only focus on making a positive difference. Saying, how can I make a positive difference in working with her? Then you do that. Now, at the end of the day, if I can't stand working with you, leave. It's all right. Just leave. On the other hand, if you're going to be there and you want to make a positive difference, you think like a salesperson you sell to the other person's need, not to your needs. You don't sit there and judge and critique the other person. They're the customer. Mm. Customers don't have to buy. You got to sell. And you use good sales techniques. You know what you do? You sell what you can sell. How about the stuff you can't sell? Uh, <laughs> you just take a deep breath and let it go. I'm going to be doing more of that now. I know. <laughs> I, I am loving that we have the Marshall Goldsmith seal where people just say, ha. Ah, ah, let it go. You just introduce some new vocabulary to our relationship. I love that. Thank you. Ah. So we're talking with Marshall Goldsmith, author of, among so many other books, The Earned Life, Lose Regret, Choose Fulfillment. Marshall, before we, we wrap up today, where, and I know that you've got 450 of the top 500 spots in your topic, but where might we connect with you, find the book, connect with you, find more about what you're doing? Well, first, the book is called The Earned Life. Since they gave me a million dollar advance, I think it'll be available in most bookstores. I hope so. <laughs> they hope so too, right? Nice. So I think it'll be available in most bookstores, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can find me, Marshall, at marshallgoldsmith.com. Go to YouTube, look my name up. There's a Marshall Goldsmith channel. I give everything away, by the way. All of my material, you may copy, share, download, duplicate, use in church, charity, nonprofit, change it around, put your name on it, do whatever you want. So I, I give everything away. So please feel free to look up my stuff and use it any way you wish. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much. That's uh, so generous. So generous. One, uh, one question that uh, I've been consistently asking every guest on asking for a friend is what has been one source of inspiration or strength for you over these challenging last couple of years? Well, the COVID actually ended up with a very strange blessing for me. My friend Mark Thompson and I every weekend spend six hours during the entire COVID period 
with about 50 or 60 amazing people and they talked about their lives. These people included Pau Gasol, the basketball star, Curtis Martin, the football star, uh, Telly Young, the Broadway star. We had the head of the Olympic Committee, the head of Russell Investments, the head of Cardinal Health, you know, the head of the Rockefeller Foundation, on and on and on. And every week people talked about life and that those sessions really were a large inspiration for my book, The Earned Life. Oh, wow. That must have been so incredibly powerful. That sounds, it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. And those, the power of friends and connections and the people who can and support us. So right. we, we could have these conversations and there is so much more that we haven't unpacked in the earned life and so much wisdom here, but we are also out of time. And so we're going to ask you, Marshall, can you share your final piece? If you had one last piece of advice to share as we're considering the earned life for all of our listeners and audience today. Uh, my final advice is always the same. Breathe. Imagine you're 95 years old and you're just getting ready to die. Right before you take that last breath, you're given a beautiful gift, the ability to go back in time and talk to the person that's listening to me right now. The ability to help this person be a better leader, much more important, the ability to help this person have a better life. What advice would the wise 95-year-old you, who knows what mattered in life and what didn't, what was important and what was not important, what advice would that wise old person have for the you that is listening to me right now? Well, you don't have to say anything or write anything or do anything. Just answer that question in your mind. Whatever you're thinking now, do that. In terms of a performance appraisal, that's the only one that matters. That old person says you did the right thing. You did. That old person says you made a mistake. You did. You don't have to impress anybody else. Some friends of mine interviewed old folks who were dying got this question. What advice would you have? Number one. Three words, be happy now. Not, mm -hmm. not next month, not next year. A lot of the book talks about the great Western disease of I'll be happy when. When I get the money status, BMW, we all have the same win. That old person is win. Learning point from old people, don't get so busy chasing what you do not have. You don't really appreciate what you do have. Learning point number two is friends and family. Don't get so busy climbing the corporate ladder you forget about the people you love. That's a big mistake. And then number three, if you have a dream, go for it. Because you don't go for it when you're 40, you may not when you're 80. Business advice is much different. Number one, life is short. Have fun. Have fun. Number two, do whatever you can do to help people. And the main reason to help people has nothing to do with money or status or getting ahead. The main reason to help people is much deeper. The 95-year-old you will be proud of you because you did and disappointed if you don't. And if you don't think that's true, interview any CEO who is retired. I've interviewed many and ask him a question. What are you proud of? None ever told me how big their office was. All we ever talked about is people they help. And the final advice, same, go for it. Life is changing. Your world's changing. Do what you think is right. May not win. At least you tried. Uh, old people, we don't regret the risk we take and fail. We regret the risk we fail to take. And finally, as I've grown older, my aspiration in life has kind of gone down and down and down. My impact's gone up and up and up. Why quit worrying about what I'm not going to change? Mm. So my goal for a fine, fine talk together. Let's imagine that a few people listening in have just a little bit better life. You know what? That's good enough for me. I think we can guarantee that. <laughs> uh, Marshall, thank you so much for being here on this special edition of Asking for a Friend and Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. It's been an absolute delight to talk with you. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.